Pentecost, and as we continue our way through the book of Colossians, uh, I hope that you get encouraged today. <laughs> I hope that you see the love of God and the power of His Spirit as we were just singing about, uh, and how it fits into a passage that we don't always particularly think about when it comes to these sorts of things. Uh, tonight's passage talks about wives submitting to husbands and slaves submitting to masters, and sometimes it's a passage that we'd rather not talk about in church, or uh, unfortunately has been used to manipulate and subjugate other people. But tonight, uh, I've titled the sermon Mutual Humility for the reason that I don't believe this is what these texts say. And hopefully as we go through this together tonight, you'll see that um, the Apostle Paul has a much bigger picture in mind than just simple phrases we sometimes take out of context. And so please follow along with me as we read Colossians chapter 3, verses 18, through the very beginning of chapter 4, just the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, uh, I have, admittedly, a decent amount of notes tonight, so we're just going to get started. Paul starts with a phrase that makes some of us uncomfortable. Uh, especially if you are a wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, some of you immediately get defensive, like in the fall when we talked about the Timothy passage about women in ministry, and, and, and will immediately say, okay, what's the male pastor going to say? You know, what is the, what is the male pastor going to say, and is he going to try to weasel around it? Or some of you who are more on the conservative side may sort of wonder how I'm going to teach this and, and might have wondered what I'm going to say about this. Um, And I confess, I I spoke with, uh, and I have spoken with women about this passage before. And one of the things that comes up every single time I read this in a letter like Paul is writing to the Colossian church is I think Paul knew exactly what he was saying, and I think there was a very good reason for it. I think that we need to understand that when we read a phrase like this that may kind of, ooh, I don't know about that. We need to take a step back and look at in the context of everything he's saying. If you were here last week, you heard James Boltima talking about holy living and having Christ being at the center of all things we do. And I think that when Paul says this, it's in that light. It's in the light of Christ being at the center of all things, the light of our new life, our new self, as he talks about putting on before this. And, and first of all, one of the things I want to say is that some people think because of phrases like this that the Apostle Paul is very anti-female or misogynistic. And, and I've heard people say that he, he, was not, he didn't like women or he tried to subjugate women, and it's just not the case. 
What he's saying here is for a Christian household under the light of Christ, that women submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What he's saying is submit to your husband as it glorifies and pleases the Lord in your family and in your household. Because a husband cannot and should not ask his wife to do anything apart from something that God would have her do. A husband cannot and should not use a verse like this to manipulate or to get, get his wife or his spouse to do the things that she might not want to do. That which is fitting to the Lord, he says. And if you go back to the book of Ephesians, just a couple of pages, if you want to turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 5, the same author, the Apostle Paul, is writing a letter to the Ephesian church, which is just about 100 miles away in modern-day Turkey from this city. In the letter to the Ephesian church, starting in verse 21, this is what Paul says to the Ephesian church. This is how he starts it. He says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And then he continues in verse 22. He says, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And then he goes into a detail that we don't have in Colossians, in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of her feet through the word, and to present herself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And blameless. In this same way, he says in verse 28 in Ephesians, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know, I, sometimes I just don't understand why, Paul, why some people criticize Paul so much because in the light of him saying this, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, he's saying, men, women, when we are in relationship and when we are in, in Christian households and, and doing these things, he says, men ought to love their husbands, or love their wives, excuse me. Men ought to love their wives the same way Christ loved the church, which means giving his very life for them. This is not a hierarchy, I don't think. The same author, the same guy. You know, in the first century in Rome, you know, I read one commentary that was talking about how Paul actually in the first century was probably taking away rights from men by writing some of this. Because in the first century in Rome, men who ruled their household could do anything they want. If they had a concubine, if they had a servant, if they decided to, to sleep outside uh, with a woman outside of their marriage, if they decided to do anything they wanted, they, no, woman in, in, no woman could argue with it. The term in Latin is called paterfamilias. But they could do what they wanted. And some historians actually would argue that Paul was taking away freedom more than any other teaching in the first century. And Paul is saying, in light of all of he's saying in chapter 3, that our freedom is in Christ. That there is no one greater than anyone else. That our power does not come in dominion or in holding people down, but it comes in loving and caring for each other, the way Christ loved and cared for us. This is why he says, if you jump up, to, to verse 11 that we read last week. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, but Christ is in all and through all. So what he's saying is not that one is greater than the other. What he's saying is that we are all under Christ and therefore should mutually love and care for each other. And we see it in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. In the same way your wives love you as is befitting to the Lord, husbands, you ought to love your wife 
And many of us know that love is a verb and it requires action. And in the way that your actions show love and not selfishness, like he said in the Ephesians part we just read, love your wife like you love yourself. Care for, the, care for your wife the same way you would care for yourself. You know, I had a friend of mine, his name's Levi, uh, and we're not close anymore, but when I was asking him about marriage, you know, and I always heard these stories. Some people say the first year of marriage is the best year they ever had in their life, and some people say it's the worst year they ever had in their life. And I remember thinking I wanted to marry my now wife, and I remember talking to Levi and said, Levi, you and Becky seem to really love each other. You guys seem like it's great. What's the secret? And he said, oh, that's easy. I said, great, what is it? He said, the secret is every morning you wake up and you do the things she wants you to do, not the things you want to do. And at first, I thought, this is going to be a really long road. But then, I realized it makes sense. It makes perfect sense because we are to lo- men are supposed to love their wives, wives are supposed to love their husbands the way Christ loves the church. And I'm pretty sure Christ didn't want to lay down his life for the church. He did it joyfully, but when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Good Friday, he said, Lord, if there's any other way... Take this cup from me. But if not, okay. And anyone who's married and anyone who's been married, you know, I've only been married seven years, there are people in this room married longer, know that some days you have to make that choice to love that person. But I believe that Paul is talking about a mutual love and respect under the Lordship of Christ. And if you ever are curious or ever have more questions about love, the Apostle Paul also says in the the book of 1 Corinthians, the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of 13, that love is the most excellent way to live. That there is no better way to live. And that's when he then goes in to the whole uh, thing that we hear at weddings all the time, that love is patient and love is kind and love does not envy and love does not boast and love keeps no record of wrongs. Paul says without love... We're like a, a, a banging gong or a clanging cymbal. We're just noise. But that the best way to live, the most excellent, and it actually says this, the most excellent way is love. Paul goes on for the Christian household. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And this one's pretty straightforward. We know what this means, but again, he adds this detail, for this pleases the Lord. Our goal is to please the Lord. Not just to do empty commands, not just to do something someone else says or suggests, but to please the Lord. To do what God desires for us. And then in verse 21, he says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Parents, mothers, fathers, it says, do not make your children bitter so that they become discouraged. I desire that my children would be encouraged, would be lifted up, would be strengthened. You know, Psalm 127 says that children are a gift. Parents, children are a gift, and the goal of parenting is to steward the gift that God gave you as best you can. Many parents in this room know that. Some days you're confused and lost and not sure what to do, but all you have to do is care for that gift, that they would be encouraged and walk in the ways of the Lord. Building each other up in the home submitting and serving each other in the things that please God. 
This book is full of wonderful things that please God. And it says here that in the household, if we love and care for one another, it will make us encouraged. It will please the Lord. The first four verses of this text, along with the Ephesians passage, are great guidelines for any structure, for any family, for any household. But then he goes into something that we're not so familiar with. He goes into something that's a little different for us today. In verse 22, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, this one's a little odd to us, and, and I don't often like, one, because I'm not an expert, um, especially with Jordash sitting right here. Uh, I'm not an expert in Greek. But this is one of those things where it helps to go into a Greek word occasionally. Because the word the Apostle Paul is using is a word called doulos, which means bondservant. And it's a little different than what we think of as this blanket term slavery and ownership. In the ancient world, and you can look this up, in the ancient world, uh, a bondservant was something that was different than we think of as a modern slave and ownership. It could have fallen under a number of different categories. It could be, it could be someone who is in a lifelong relationship to an owner, as someone who was you know, captured in war, or someone who had no money or had a great debt. But it could have also been, there's instances of, of people who, to avoid poverty, voluntarily go into a bond-servant relationship. There are people who, relocation fees, there are people who um, did it to, all, all sorts of things, really. And I'm not trying to belittle it, but in the first century, one thing I read said that in the Roman world, it could have been as high as 25% of the population were involved in some sort of bond-servant or working relationship. And, and so it seems to me that Paul is mentioning this because it's quite obvious that slaves, were, slaves or bondservants were coming to Christ. They were coming to church. They had at least a measure of freedom to where they could go and hear the message of Jesus and choose on their own and that they could be a part of the local church. And so Paul is, is, is addressing them. And again, like I said, I'm not taking away from it because surely there was bad things and there were harsh relationships. But this was enough of a presence in the ancient world to where the Apostle Paul had to deal with it and had to talk about it so that people would know what to do with it. Um, in fact, the New Testament has lots written to about it. Uh, there is a little book towards the end of it called Philemon that addresses a runaway slave. If you've never read it, um, you should look at it. It's pretty fascinating. But it's not the same, and this is the key point I want to make, it's not the same as modern slavery or slavery we think of in the last two or three hundred years. Um, Many of us are Western European or uh, descent, and you know, for those of us who are American, we were probably the driving force and the worst of what we think of as slavery. Uh, and the sad thing is, and this is a point I really want to make for us in modern context, the saddest thing to me is that many men claiming to be Christian men took a passage like this and used it to abuse, manipulate, and subject people to something that was very, very far from the will of God. Similarly, Christian men have used similar passages to subjugate and to abuse and manipulate women in their relationships with them in a way that God never intended. And so I want to mention this only because um, there's, a, there's a couple of verses in the Bible. I always joke, uh, and people will all sometimes say, you always say this passage is your favorite. Um, I actually have some that are not my favorite. And 
Uh, there's one in, in, in the book of James that I really don't like. In James chapter 3, verse 1, says that uh, not all of you should become teachers, for teachers will be judged more harshly or more strictly. Uh, it's one of my least favorites. But I've always taken it really seriously, and I think about what God says, and I think about the words of Scripture, and I think about men and women throughout history using the Bible to manipulate and abuse and hold people down, and I get really angry. And think about it for a moment. Put yourself in God's shoes. Imagine someone mistreated or manipulated your child into doing something that was never intended for them to do. Imagine someone took your most prized possession and manipulated them with something that was supposed to be good to hold them down. Now think about God and how God must feel when people take Scripture to abuse and manipulate people, His children. They use His holy word to control other people. So, if I can just say, from my perspective, when we read Scripture... We need to continue to be open and loving and, and see each other in light of what the Scripture says and, and never, may we never use the Word of God to get what we want. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what God will do about it, but I'm pretty sure He's not happy with us if we try to do that. And so when we read passages like this, how do we learn and grow about our family and about our household in, in light of what God is saying? Because in verse 23, he gives a great synopsis for it. He says, whatever you do, slaves, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. With all your heart, wherever we are, whatever we do, we need to work as if we are working for the Lord. Now for me, <laughs> it's a little easier than maybe some of your professions. But whether it's a profession, whether it's school, whether it's family, we do these things for the Lord. Because, as he says in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair, because you know you also have a master in heaven. Because we all have a master in heaven. This is why I titled this sermon Mutual Humility, that we all come before God, we all come before Christ, and, and give Him the due He has and we lower ourselves together. You know, some of you may think that this is difficult or hard or not fair. Um, if you turn your Bibles just one page over from where we are to 1 Thessalonians. I mentioned James 3.1 not being one of my favorite passages. Uh, <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18 are some of my other least favorite ones, but they, they give me encouragement tonight. Starting verse 16, the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonian church, which is also in that area, he says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the hard part. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, we may think sometimes that things aren't fair, or that we don't have to humble ourselves before someone else because we have a different circumstance than other people. or, or God, it's, just, it's just different for us right now, and I have to do this, and I have to lift myself up just to get to this place so that I can accomplish. The Bible says that what you are going through, whatever it is, wherever you find yourself right now, good, bad, and different, this is Christ's will for you. This is where God has you. 
And this isn't just where God has you now that just kind of happened on a whim. This is what God has known for you and is part of his plan and part of his plan for you. Even if like a slave you have been mistreated, God says, this is is the time to glorify me in the midst of hardship. Maybe God sent the circumstances. Maybe the circumstances are the result of your choices. Maybe they're the result of someone else's choices that negatively affected you. But God says, I can use it. I can grow you in it, and I can grow the church in it. And let me be clear here, because I know this is a difficult subject. I know that that families are difficult because some people can't have kids, and some people aren't married. And let me just be very, very clear that the unmarried woman is no less than the married woman. The married man is no greater than the unmarried man. The child is no closer to God than the the pastor, and the pastor is no closer to God than the child who's never heard the gospel. Those who are mentally handicapped or disabled are no worse off than you or me. We are all under Christ. I do not believe it is God's will that any of his creation should be stifled and kept down through our abuse and through our desire for power and control. The first sin of Adam and Eve was a desire for control and pride and power. I mean, really, if you look at it, Adam and Eve just basically said, we want to be like God, we want good and evil. And God said, no, I don't want that for you. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to be together. And we said no. And what Paul is saying here is that we are all equal under the, under the Godhead. We're all equal under Christ. It's not a corporate, like, succession plan or a pyramid that tells you who the most important is and who the best is. The book of Revelation gives us a picture of all nations and all tribes, all speaking all different languages before the throne of God, all together. Imagine just a big field with all people in the world and a giant loving umbrella covering us all. And what's so amazing is this, is that we we, we come to this passage on Pentecost, The day that we are reminded why we're all equal in the kingdom of heaven. Because we have all been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to do great things. All of us. You know, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was was a much bigger deal. In the sense that it was given to a king or a prophet for a time or for a place. But God has said, no, you are all my children. I love you so much. I'm just going to pour out my spirit upon you so that you are all equal. So that you are all together in this. So that you are all on the same mission to love and care and provide for one another. To mutually submit under the power of God with the Holy Spirit inside of us. Pentecost is such a great day because it reminds us that it's not just a piece of God that he gave us. It's all of God that he gave us. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to live the life God desires of us. That we actually can be humble people who love and serve others like Jesus. What right do we have to love other people the way Jesus does? But he says, no, you are my hands, you are my feet. I give you my spirit so that you might do the things I am doing on this earth. We have the same power to live this way. And when it comes to our households, wherever we find ourselves, single, married, with with too many kids, with no kids, it doesn't matter. 
God has put those things in front of each of you for a reason. To steward them and to care for them and to show the humility of Christ in all things you do. That His name would be made more famous and that His name would be glorified on this earth through the power of the Spirit. Please pray with me. Lord, I am very grateful. Lord, I'm very grateful for the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I I pray that we would all feel it. Lord, that we would know Your love and Your peace and Your comfort. And Lord, as we look to our families, we look to our work, we look to our circumstance, we wonder, Lord, do we have the power to lay our lives down the way You did? And we remember Pentecost. We remember the gift of Your Spirit. And we remember that, yes, the same power that gave you the strength to lay your life down is given to us. That we would lay our lives down for our enemies. That we would lay our lives down for our families. Lord, and even if we find ourselves in a position of slavery that is unfair and unjust, in the midst of difficult circumstance, Lord, we can still honor you because your Holy Spirit does not lie. And your Holy Spirit will not fill us with false strength. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the Colossian church. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. And thank you that we can still learn from this letter years and years down the road, knowing you desire for us to have healthy, godly, God-honoring relationships in all we do. Whether we are married, whether we are single, whether we are with kids or without, Lord, there is much for us to do. May your Holy Spirit lead us in all we do. Amen.